Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Pete if you were writing SEC fan fiction, if some Dungeons and Dragons crew got together and wrote this script, you would not believe it. With SI's Pat Forty. Coach O has gone from we coming to you going. Here's Pat and Pete. All right, welcome to the pod. And as you can probably tell, that's not Dan Wetzel's Northeast honk. I'm Pat Forty, sitting in for Dan, and quite frankly, the podcast is in disarray. Overreaction Monday, we have a ton to overreact to, but we are in a bit of disarray. Wetzel has gone AWOL. We're not sure where he is or what he's doing, but he did text us a picture of a vast array of alcohol somewhere that I think he was hanging out with his boys back in Massachusetts. Uh, We'll see if he emerges when he emerges, what kind of shape he is in when he emerges. He should be back with us later this week. But uh, for now, Pete and I and Sully, who will play a prime role in this pod, will handle the Overreaction Monday podcast. So we've got Wetzel. I have a theory. Can I just cut in? Can I cut in quick with my theory? Has anyone talked to Dan since everything flew on the field at Neyland Stadium last night? Because he disappeared from the group text. And True. I'm just wondering if Vault Twitter got him to give Sully a bigger voice today to defend their actions. <laughs> no, like, like, no. I mean, look, look we all know Dan Dan's athletic ball, limits. You're, you're completely Dan with lead. the golf ball. <laughs> no, Dan no. with the golf Dan ball in the not, billiard room. All of Dan's snark and cynicism. He would not willingly miss this podcast. Yeah. Like, if this was a May podcast where we were talking about like hot coordinators, like Dan would willingly like just go belly up at some bar in Duxbury and do whatever. But no, no, no. This is like Dan Wetzel was born for this podcast. He was. He was. So this I is, think Paul is... Twitter found him. They didn't <laughs> want to hear what he had to say, and they wanted Sully to issue feeble defenses of their behavior. <laughs> so that is my that is my theory of where what happened yeah. to Dan. Well, yeah, we have two like mega red meat topics. We yes. have the demise of Ed Orgeron, and we have Mustard's Last Stand slash Dasani <laughs> Revolt. I, Pete came up with all the names for what we're going to call the, the, the Tennessee meltdown. Give proper credit to Pete for those. But so, yes, we've got Sully's program that is just absolutely losing its mind. And we've got Ed Orgeron out. He's going to finish the season, but it's going to be like 17 games after winning the national championship, which is just astounding. So it's the SEC, baby. Here's what we got. It just means too much, maybe. But we will tackle all of that. We'll get to the small sample Heisman. We'll get. We'll, we'll try to say something nice, although <laughs> today could be a bit of a challenge. We'll do our best there. We got to start, though, with the news out of Baton Rouge. My colleague Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated got out there first. Uh, Many people, including Pete, followed that uh, Ed Orgeron will be gone at the end of this season. Coach O has gone from we coming to you going. Uh, He's out in, you know, five more games or whatever the case may be. And, of course, this this comes after their best win of the season – Uh, upsetting Florida in a typically wild Florida LSU game. This is the SEC, and this is also the pace of change in the high-stakes world of college football, where if you thought Gene Chizik got trapdoored fast, guess what? Ed Orgeron's trapdoored even faster. 17 games, I said, after winning the national championship, after going 15-0 with one of the great seasons I think a lot of us have seen. 
but it was built on smoke and mirrors and two or three guys, uh, one quarterback, two coordinators, obviously some other talent, but uh, not sustainable, and he's out. Pete, get, give me your initial thoughts on the demise of the Ed Orgeron era at LSU. Again, people have said whether Chiswick's a fair comparison, not a fair comparison, and I, I think it, it's fair in this, like, in the wake of winning the title, it was unthinkable. And then by the time it happened, it was obvious, right? Like nobody's surprised here today. Now, maybe because it came after a win, it was surprising. But nobody at all is surprised that that Ed Orgeron is out at LSU. Uh, since that Auburn loss, it was really just a matter of time. And really since the UCLA loss, you have to wonder if the shoelace game didn't happen in the swamp, if this would have happened last year. And he would have reset the bar for, for that because that thing was that thing was teetering. And, and this is what it comes down to. Scott Woodward was never sold on Ed Orgeron. He was sold briefly after the 15-0 season. And this is the first window for him to really I mean, pony up $17 million. And we'll see if he does actually get all of his buyout. It's been reported that he does. All buyouts are negotiation points at this juncture. So I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that because of all the things swirling around that LSU program. When you look at the arc of Ed Orgeron's downfall at LSU, it was clearly, it it begins with the loss of the two coordinators. And look, his rise started with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, and his downfall started when they left. And I do think Aranda, in the role he played behind the scenes from those years, 16 to 19, just kind of keeping things together, just keeping things sane, patching things together, is probably underappreciated in like the how did Ed Orgeron last this long conversation. But by the time this season started, and I wrote it at SEC Media Days, if they lose to UCLA, the clock starts ticking. The blowout at Kentucky, it was it was all over. And 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 Ross had reported and and I'd heard this as well that like these conversations started before the before the Florida game. And and they're just the wondrously diabolical SEC way. They came to a head today at part because God forbid he gets hot and can keep the job. We don't want that to happen. So <laughs> They, they cleared him out, and uh, it's just – I mean, I wrote something after the Auburn game. James Carville, who's very close to LSU program and the school, said the obvious is the obvious. Like he – you know, we always joke in this business, it's hard to get people to say obvious things out loud with their – you know, with their name on them. Carville was just like, look, this is going to happen. Like the, the spiral is is there and it's coming. And I wrote it that day and like nobody – there was no pushback at all. That thing sailed. I mean there was zero, zero pushback from uh, from anybody at LSU, from anybody in the industry, from anywhere elsewhere. Like it was – this was this was the spiral and, and this is what it was. And Scott Woodward now gets to to pick his own coach and, and go in lockstep with him. And I think this becomes the biggest – off-field story of the season, if not the biggest story that's going to loom over the rest of the season. Just going off of what you just said, better job, LSU or USC? Great question. Right now, I would say LSU. And the reason is that the the schedule is harder. But if you look at the last three LSU coaches, they won national titles. If you look at the last three, really four USC coaches, if you count Orgeron as an interim, they all ended in pretty much abject disasters. So – in, in the last 15, I guess in the last two decades, there is a longer, more consistent history of LSU producing draft picks and producing national title winners. And I think it, coaches have long said, and Saban's even said some stuff like to this degree, LSU is the best job in the country because you are in arguably the best state for producing football talent, certainly the best state for producing football talent. You have no competition. And there is a fierce pride in that state. Like there's, It's a very myopic state in terms of where the loyalties lie. And so if Les Miles can win a national title and if Ed Orgeron can win a national title and Nick Saban obviously won a national title, it'd be hard to look at that job and say, I can't go there and win a national title if you're on that short list of high-profile, expensive coaches that Scott Woodward's going to look at. We'll, we'll dive into that later. But if you look at USC – there's still sort of the after stench of some of those federal investigations swirling around that school. And they're just there has been an alleged modernization of football that has yet to manifest itself on the field in terms of boosting the recruiting operation. Pat's favorite thing, right? They, you know, they're probably Pat's already worried they're gonna cut swimming. The in terms of boosting all of the modern things you need, USC was 10 to 15 years behind. Now they have begun to catch up. But the results have not begun to catch up. So again, are they far apart? One's probably three, and one's probably six on my on my list. 
the, the argument for USC is that there's an easier path to the playoff because the Pac-12 is, is, is so far down right now. You could go out there and become a recruiting juggernaut in, a, in an instant. What do you think, Pat? Yes, I, I, I mostly agree with you. The only thing is, I mean, LSU, uh, no pun with their nickname, but it is the ultimate ride the tiger job. Like, as long as you're on the tiger and the tiger's going the right direction, awesome. You fall off the tiger, you get eaten immediately. We have seen <laughs> that now, you know? The, the tiger turns around and devours you. So, USC, Clay, Helton, you know, somehow parlayed like seven years there. You do not get seven years at, at LSU. You don't get half of that, uh, clearly, if, if things are not going well. So, that's what you got to go in. You go in probably with a better chance to win big, but you have to win big right away or very quickly, I think. Where at USC, I, you know, there's just if, – if Clay Helton had somehow won a national title in 2019, he's not getting fired in 2021. You know, I think you get a, a longer shelf life or afterlife after that big moment at that place than you would at LSU. But again, so that, so it's like high risk, high reward, I guess I would say for LSU. But it will be interesting. How much do you think there will be overlap from a candidate pool standpoint? I mean, I would think James Franklin would be an attractive commodity at both places. Uh, well, I'll let you, I, I just asked the question. I'll let you answer it. So I would think that, and I, and I wrote this on Yahoo today, I did a candidate list, and I usually I do them longer. LSU's list isn't long because they are hiring a big fish. They're going to pay big for a big fish. We've talked about this a little bit on the pod as we've covered this orger on downfall. Scott Woodward, he delights in spending and overspending. Like that is his MO. I am going to, I'm going to issue historic contracts and, and raise my fist at the press conference and pat myself on the back for it. That is his MO. That's who he is as an administrator. And look, it's a successful tactic in, in, in a lot of ways. Like nobody's sitting around saying that Chris Peterson was a bad hire or Jimbo was a bad hire at A&M. And, you know, Kim Mulkey certainly is going to deliver, I would think. Uh, her three national championship track record says that. Buzz Williams has been a little bit uh, milquetoast at, uh, at, at A&M, but the hire itself. But he was a big, splashy hire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was a big hire. I think Woodward left like 11 minutes after the press conference. I think he actually just like got in his car to Baton Rouge and left uh, Buzz's press conference. It was that, uh, that soon after. But I don't think LSU gets past coach one and coach two. I think Woodward wants Jimbo. That's his guy. They were together 15 years ago. If you sat with Scott Woodward right now, he has expensive tastes and had a nice glass of wine with him and said, who do you want to hire? It would be Jimbo Fisher. It is his friend. It is someone he knows can do the job. It is someone he paid a historic amount to do a similar job. And it's someone he knows and is familiar with. And these ADs, they want to be part of the team, man. They want to be in lockstep. That's the, that's the term you hear. Scott Woodward wants to be in lockstep with his coach. He knows he'll be in lockstep with Jimbo Fisher. He can assume he'd be in lockstep with James Franklin, but that's that is that is his that is his Zen partner, and that is it is going to be a fascinating, awkward couple weeks, as in, including crescendoing in the uh, pacemaker game at the end of the season <laughs> between exactly. uh, between between LSU and uh, in in Texas A and M. Sully, who would you hire? Oh, go get Lane Kiffin. Why not? Sully <laughs> <laughs> so just likes the spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's, I mean, like Lane Kiffin will, would give you all the spectacle. I, there's no guarantee Lane Kiffin gives you any of the titles because he has not delivered that uh, yet to this point. You know, he's, he's had good jobs. He's doing a good job right now at Ole Miss, but you got to show me some hardware, man. Especially if you're going to throw eight, nine million at a guy, I'm not throwing it at Lane Kiffin. And it's, it's going to take probably, what, $10 million a year to get Jimbo, you think, Pete? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's it, just, it will it's be astounding. It will be Woodwardian <laughs> in the amount of the contract. But here's yeah. the – this is the part that, like, if you were writing SEC fan fiction, if some Dungeons and D Dragons crew got together and wrote this script, you would not believe it. Scott Woodward at Texas A&M, whatever it was, four or five years ago, gives Jimbo Fisher a – 10-year, $75 million deal. I remember the story broke when I was in the Indianapolis airport driving, uh, going to the Big Ten title game. It was the same day where the freeze punishment came out of Ole Miss and some other huge story happened. Do you remember that day, Pat? Like we yes. Were, we yeah, were colleagues was, at, the, at the time. Yes, that was bonkers. Yeah, it was just bonkers. So anyway, that was like, when that contract happened and now we've been lulled and dulled and people have passed it, that was like a, oh my God, holy, and, and Scott Woodward kind of, like anyone who criticized him just kind of, like chuckled. He's like, hey, 
It's market value for a national championship coach. So it was the single most lopsided contract in the history of collegiate sports because he was guaranteed $75 million and it cost zero to leave. This cup of coffee would be cost more (laughs) than the cost for Jimbo Fisher to leave Texas A&M to go anywhere to the extent of that. Now, Ross Bjork, the current AD at Texas A&M, just re-upped Jimbo, and I think it's about $9 million a year. Is that about yeah, it's right? It's over $9 million. It's 10 years, yes. 90 plus million, same lack of buyout. Correct. So there was a chance to, to market correctness. There was no correction. He can walk away right now for no money. So Scott Woodward wrote the lopsided deal that could enable him to someday hire the coach who he gave the lopsided deal to, which is insane. Can you imagine the message board conspiracy theories about this? But like, you can't make that up. If that was like a all-American plot, and if Dan was here, I'm sure he could wax nostalgic on his favorite uh, CW show. You'd be like, no way, come on. No AD would do that, leave and then take advantage of it. But here we are, this is coming. And everything Jimbo says at this point is going to be dissected. Somebody in the media in uh, in College Station in that is going to say, well, why don't you say you're not going? Like that, like these press conferences are just going to turn into these little like chicken dances, like dosy does, like in everything he says. And that that week is just going to be just a sheer level of comedic misery for Jimbo, who, let's face it, isn't the most comfortable guy in the spotlight to begin with. You know, like there's there's not a ton of natural charisma there. So just wants to coach uh, ball, Pete. Just wants to coach ball. Yes, yes. If you thought he talked fast <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will be so it, it, it's just like the reading between the lines and the tea leaves and, you know, it, the the narratives because, you know, Fisher settled on a, on a, like a ranch out, outside town there. He's remarried. He's settled in like that. Like you're going to get all like the. I call it like the beach house effect. Like when you start talking about like where a coach is going to take a job, you all of a sudden hear like, is a beach house nearby? Like that's that that's a metaphor more than anything else. But you're going to hear about how happy he is and how much he loves it. And ultimately, through all the denials and all the awkwardness, he's going to have a decision to make. That is how I'm handicapping this. Look, I could be I could be dead wrong and they could go hire Joe Brady, who I don't think is a candidate and I don't think is going to go. But I uh, I really think this starts as a one horse race. If it's not going to happen, then you know you could quickly and quietly move on to your to your next horse. But for for the most part, I think that's where LSU's future is pointed, somewhat awkwardly, somewhat hilariously, and it's fantastic theater, right? As we go no, on here, no, I mean, like, like you said, you you laid out the theater very well with the the Woodward tie to both schools and to and Jimbo and the just uh, the the fact that they play each other the last game of the season that's so SEC it hurts you know I mean uh-huh. where this is a conference <laughs> where everybody's always raiding each other for coaches sometimes coordinators sometimes head coaches and uh this will be a very very high stakes situation there and then yeah we'll see what Jimbo does I mean I don't know A&M should be a very very good job as well uh, we've talked about it at length on the pod where in theory they should be winning national titles. They haven't gotten there yet. And since Jimbo got his 90 plus million dollar contract, he immediately turned around and lost two SEC games to middle of the road SEC West teams. Then he follows it up with the big win over Alabama. And boy, you want to put a little shine in the eyes of the LSU faithful, go beat Nick Saban. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they can, they can forget that you lost to Mississippi state and to, to Arkansas pretty quickly. Uh, if that comes to pass there. So, I uh, I mean, this will be great ongoing pod theater uh, for sure. Uh, last uh, thing on this part of the, of the, of the LSU coach O topic. What is Ed Orgeron's legacy? Good question. Well, he'll still coach. I believe, you know, there's been a joke on Twitter about him being an Alabama analyst in uh, 2022. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually yeah. don't think he will be because of his Twitter video uh, <laughs> F-bombing yeah. the Tide. Nick Saban has a long memory. Um, and that memory maybe, after that. may be carried out uh, this year as uh, when when the Tide do play the, uh, the the Tigers. But will he go with Pete Carroll to the Seahawks? And Pete Carroll loves him some Ed Orgeron. 
with Lane hire him at Ole Miss as a Lane has a very good young defensive line coach named Randall Joyner, but they would they would figure out a way to get Ed on the staff because he is still a dynamic recruiter. Although going back to Ole Miss would probably be a little bit torturous for uh, for him considering his exit considering his exit there. Colonel Reb is don't prime. underestimate yeah don't underestimate <laughs> the Lane Orgeron dynamic. Here's a a good fun one in the short term, Pat. I believe LSU's next game is at Ole Miss, and ah. I think that's I think that's next week. What Lane? <laughs> It, the, the dance that Lane plays in defending his friend, Ed, who is his long friend from the early Pete Carroll days in the early 2000s at USC, to also like not wanting to piss off an administration that could end up hiring him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will be really yeah. interesting because Lane doesn't uh, withhold his true feelings and emotions very well. I think that's like he just says exactly what's on his mind at all times. And it has served him very poorly at times. It has served him well in this job. So how restrained he is, not his quintessential character trait, when addressing Orgeron and addressing LSU and addressing the craziness will be will be pretty uh, will be pretty fascinating. So legacy for Ed, I think he ends up being the coach where everything went right. The transfer, of the quarterback went right. The system went right. Like I still can't tell you that if there is a better, more improbable assistant coach hire than Joe Brady that I have seen in my entire career doesn't exist. Joe Brady was like the QC for the Saints. He wasn't the quarterback coach. Right. His main job was to keep JT Barrett, the third string quarterback for the Saints, like ready to like face the scout team in practice. Like there, it was insane that the collision of Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, and then don't underestimate the talent they had at receiver too. That's going to go down as a top 10 all-time collegiate receiver room when you look oh, at what ridiculous. Jamar Chase has done, oh. when you look at what Justin Jefferson's done. I mean, they look, yeah. they were just filthy talented. Um, but I, that Brady hire, it, in, my, in my entire career, there has not been a better assistant coach hire that wasn't obvious, right? Like, you know, like people can say, oh, Gene Smith hired Urban Meyer at Ohio State. That was a great hire. Yeah, well, my grandmother could have made that hire. Like, it's very yeah. obvious. Like, the Joe Brady thing was completely out of the blue and off the wall. And the fact that it worked spectacularly, it was like Ed Orgeron doubled down on 20 and then got an <laughs> ace. That's like that. That's what Joe Brady was. And then Burroughs play, who was pedestrian at best, he was a late-round pick. He was good. He was like a... Good upper middle class SEC quarterback, but he wasn't anything special. I no. mean, he was Kellen Mond, right? Like something yeah. like that. Like so, the, the collision of all that. So I give Ed Orgeron all the credit in the world for bringing the pieces together to allow lightning to strike like it like it did. But you know, he's a he's a character that veered into being a caricature. And I think as the stories start to spill out about his off-field behavior and some of the stuff with women that the Athletic reported, I think he may be remembered a bit more as a caricature than anything else. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I yes, that that you'll that will start gaining a lot of traction as LSU looks to justify making this move 17 games after winning the national championship. But let's also be clear that Coach O were seven and O this season. None of that stuff would matter. Okay. You know, he would he would still be the coach and nobody would be talking about that. I looked it up here, by the way, Joe Burrow pass efficiency rating in 2018 before Joe Brady, 133, which is probably not even maybe middle of the pack nationally. Uh, next year, 201.96, which broke the NCAA record. So I think there was a little effect there. And interesting, you I mean, you want the uh, Chiswick uh, parallel a little bit further? Transformational quarterback Cam Newton paired with rising superstar coordinator Gus Malzahn. You know, uh, like Gus had a little more rep probably because he had been the celebrated high school coach, but he was the Tulsa offensive coordinator before he got hired at Auburn. His second year, he teams up with Cam Newton and kaboom. All of a sudden, you're going undefeated and winning a national title. So the Chiswick O uh, comparisons never really stop, I don't think. Uh, my thought on Orgeron's legacy is, yeah, that's a guy the stars aligned completely for one season who otherwise was just another SEC coach, probably. He had some good moments, had some bad moments, got fired from one job, uh, ends up getting fired from this job. You know, I don't think there's anything. He's a very good recruiter. I'm sure he is good in the locker room with his players, but lightweight as a scheme guy, needs the coordinators to take care of that for him. 
and I think probably a little bit too much chaos surrounding just overall program management. So, you know, I'm glad we glad we had Coach O for the fun, but uh, he's being broomed out in record time. Let, let me just finish it with this thought. So Orgeron in the late 90s, was when I was in college at Syracuse, was the defensive line coach. In the early to mid-90s, he had been the defensive line coach at Miami when Miami was the U. We're talking Cortez Kennedy, Russell Maryland, Warren Sapp. I mean, like the best defensive lines that college football saw that generation, Orgeron, was the was the coach for. So he had a huge rep. And then he got in trouble off the field. He had some legal issues. He had an ugly divorce. And he ends up in Syracuse, where I first crossed paths with him, because basically that was the only place that would hire him after his uh, after his legal issues. And that was sort of where the rehab started. He ended up meeting his wife, who he just divorced after 20-something years, uh, at the Liberty Bowl when he was there as a Syracuse assistant. So it, it's been interesting kind of knowing the arc and the backstory of Orgeron. There was a rise an epic flame out. And then he leaves Syracuse for Pete Carroll's staff at USC. There's another rise. I mean, he was Carroll's indispensable wingman, linchpin recruiter. And then he has another fall when he's at Ole Miss. Obviously that, you know, that spiraled into uh, spiraled into a messy disaster there. And then he comes back again. I think he went to the Saints for a year or two, ended up on the staff, gets the job as the interim. So his career has been a series of very steep peaks and valleys. And I've, I've never had anything but decent dealings with Ed Orgeron. And so I wish him, I wish him that as he kind of faces this valley and comes back, I certainly wish him, wish him the best to, to, if he wants to stay in football, to find some, you know, to find some next step to, uh, to redeem himself. Cause it, it has been a very, the, the arc has been a, a rare, it's rare that a, a coach's rise, especially a coach who wins to the level that he had won at LSU has as many peaks and valleys as Ed Orgeron does. So Here's hoping I I would be stunned if this is it for him and he just walks into the sunset. Football means too much in his life, quite frankly. Yeah, well, never dull with Coach O. So I, if there's a next chapter, we'll be ready for it. He coming again, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> All right, the other big topic of the weekend, Sean Sullivan's alma mater involved in a great game on a great night with 102.455 in the stands, the atmosphere <laughs> going Ole Miss in town, Lane Kiffin on the visiting sideline, Mississippi playing extremely well, really kind of in control of the game, but the Vols keep battling back, keep battling back, keep battling back. They have a possession where they're trying to go and possibly win the game. Something happens on fourth and 24. Did he get 23 yards? Did he get 24? Did he get 23 and a half? Did he get 24 and an inch? And then all hell breaks loose. We have a declaration from the officials that it is not a first down for Tennessee. Mississippi's ball. There's less than a minute left, but, but Tennessee has three timeouts left, so the game is still in the balance. But we have to take a 20-minute break for the pelting of the field with debris. Sully, you have lived and died with this program. What was Saturday night like for you and what? How would you sum up this whole fandango that we in, that we witnessed here? Oh man, I told you guys it was going to be vicious. I, I did say that. I, I I don't even think <laughs> we were real time like texting each other pretty 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 heavy during all this. Oh yeah, I knew it was going to be a nasty environment. That I did not think it was going to be that nasty. Yeah, I I think the anger was justified, but the reaction absolutely did not did not need to happen. Um, that never needs to happen. And you know, I, I think. Both of you guys have had pretty loud opinions about the whole situation and the fan base is is pretty pissed, but you know that they, they should be pissed at themselves. They keep handing you guys the big wide brush that you could paint. It's it's an embarrassing moment for the university for sure. I, I think what you should do is is ban the student section, you know, for a game, give those tickets to kids in, in Knoxville around town, give those to families and find the university. But you know, that 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 happens. A lot. It's, it's not just a Tennessee issue. That's that's a fan issue. We saw it today in, in London with Jacksonville Jaguar fans. You know, so it's 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 not a good reaction. It wasn't pretty, and it, it really sucks that it overshadows a, a, an amazing game, an amazing atmosphere that should be celebrated. Instead, it's you know another black eye on Rocky Top. So I want to interject here because Pat and I talked about this a little bit on text last night. Like I, in twenty years of covering college football, have never seen anything like this happen. Now, could it have happened? Sure. May it have happened somewhere? Yes. Could a game have been delayed for some debris being thrown on the field? Yes. A 20-minute full-stop 
clear the cheerleaders in the band, bring the team to the middle of the field, tell your players to put on their helmet stop. I have never seen. Pat Forty, have you ever seen anything like that? No, but I've only been covering college football for 35 years. Okay, only 35. All right, yeah. So I'll give myself 20, and I had not seen anything like that. So I... I fully enjoyed the Vol fan base like acting like it was just a normal Saturday in the park. Now, I have not seen that. The reaction of the chancellor and the reaction of Greg Sankey, it sounds like they're pissed. First of all, how right after T- Chancellor Plowman calls the Ole Miss chancellor to apologize, she should call the LSU tr- chancellor and thank him for gassing Ed O on the same day. De- on the same day. Changing the subject. So much heat. So much heat. It was like the Gruden-Urban thing. Everything, all the eyeballs shifted to a different direction. So I very much stand by that I haven't seen that. Has that been basketball? Yeah. Like there's been there's been pissed off, you know, student this, sections in basketball. And this very same and rivalry in an Ole Miss-Tennessee game, yes. two players got hit yes. in the face. Like it, yes. it happens but around I, the SEC. I just think the stakes and the spectacle and the scope are unlike anything I've ever seen. And I'll, I'll stand by that. Because if that happened in a college football game, that a 20-minute delay happened, because of just an outpouring of debris. I will never forget the cheerleaders are using their like Goval placards to protect their heads. Like that's crazy. Like completely, completely crazy. And why didn't they throw a penalty? Like, <laughs> I, I am stunned there was no penalty. Well, the I'm refs really were, surprised. The refs were piss poor all night, so that doesn't shock me. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, Honestly, I, I think I if, if you guys they get this. the right call in the first quarter, I don't think there's a single dip spitter thrown on the field. Yes, to be a, honest. a random Vols fan named Rhonda Evans Phillips direct messaged me on Instagram and said, quote, you want to write about the downfall of college football? Question mark. Tackle the fake injuries and horrible officiating. I'll be waiting to see your byline on those stories. That's just... <laughs> well, that's still <laughs> Thank you, nicer than the, than the Knoxville radio guy that I got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if anyone wants to go down just a delightful rabbit hole, this Knoxville radio guy informed Pat on Twitter that he was banned from their station. And Pat wrote, oh, darn. And so this guy's tweet, there was like, there's like 200 quote tweets. And he said, not only was Pat banned, but he would fight anyone at the station to do it. And just literally 200 people calling this guy a hypocrite for like defending the petulant fan base by threatening a fight. It was, it is like literally like giggle out loud funny. I've known Brian uh, Rice got, for a while and I, I can't back him on that one. You can't, you can't defend <laughs> petulance with petulance. Um, Pat, how are you handling your 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 banishment? How, how's it going? I'm holding up okay. I'm holding okay, up okay. Good. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get through this. Coach O's dealing with some adversity. I'm dealing with some adversity now. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to do the sports animal in Lexington. I'm sorry, in Knoxville. Um, <laughs> I apologize to my friend Jimmy Himes, who I've known a long time, who works at that station and would occasionally call to get me on. But I'm sorry, Jimmy, I've been banned. So I'm out. But, no, look, Pete, you wrote this. I wrote it to a degree uh, in the 40-yard dash. It'll be out here on Sunday that Tennessee has a ton of great fans, but Tennessee has an element that has embarrassed that school and that fan base very badly, and it's not gone away. It's not tiny. It's significant enough that you hear them and you see them. You see them in action, and you see what they've done. and. The basic tenor of it seems to be we care so much that we get our way or we riot, which is not a great way to handle difficult times. And if you go back to the mutiny that smeared Greg Schiano, got John Curry fired and led to the, I, I think Pete, I think you used, said bumbling uh, combination of Phil Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt, congratulations. Now, here we are again, four years later. We're not getting our way with from the refs. We riot. We are not going to take it, and we're going to try to justify it because, well, it's happened some other places. They threw things on a basketball court, or the refs are just so bad they deserved it. I mean, some of the, the justifications for this were so far out there. It's like, check yourself, people. And maybe the chancellor, maybe Greg Sankey, Maybe some combination of forces are going to help them check themselves. I would like to see the Tennessee fans who are rational do some checking on those folks. Sully, your uh, suggestion of of making the students uh, sit out a game, 
might be a good one. I said kick them all out because I don't know whether it's just students. Kick everybody out but the families of the players. Pete, I think you said empty stands for uh, for Georgia, right? That's the next home game, which is a pretty big home game. But you know what? This isn't a just a, oh, gosh, something happened situation. This is a 20-minute stop down in a game that was on the line with things being thrown that could have hurt people. For all the jackwads out there saying, it was just empty bottles. No, if you read Joe Rexroad's column, who was standing on the field, a lot of the bottles were full. Those hit somebody, there's a problem. If the golf ball that was thrown at Lane Kiffin hits Lane Kiffin in the head, could be a problem. You don't get the right to just throw shit at the field when things don't go your way. I'm sorry. No, I agree. I mean, it, it's 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 not a not a good look, and there is no situation where you should throw something on the field, you know. And and yeah, going back to your point, I think it's a, it's a small minority of really loud fans, you know, that that ruin it for the rest of us. That's what happens when you when you have a student section that has been drinking all day. It's a night game, and there's been a long litany of of poor calls that go against your way, and that's a perfect uh, melting pot of of of. Shit to go against you and that that's when that stuff happens and yeah like i said they just tennessee fans are mad but um why not be mad at the fans that keep giving you a bad name too you know they keep handing you handing everybody a, a paintbrush to paint you in a broad smear well get mad at the people that keep doing this stuff because it goes all the way back to couches on fire after kiffin left in 2009 you know that it's 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 a small small group of people that get mad and then everybody can paint you in a, in a certain light so if you're if you're if you want that to stop, you need to talk to the people that are throwing stuff and mustard bottles onto the onto the field. I have a theory well, on the mustard bottle. Yeah, I do. Since since you brought it up, I just wonder if if that could be used as perhaps a bourbon vessel. You know, maybe to, to get into the stadium. Yeah, but um, they would normally check in the student section. They check if if, if something's sealed. Oh yeah, for sure. Like okay. there is. Uh, there was a video that was circulating last night of somebody that had a uh, a bunch of sleeves of airplane bottles taped to their back, so like mm-hmm. like a like you know like it was like a grenades or something. Well, I guess they might have <laughs> yeah, been used. Uh, they might have yeah. been used as such later on in the night. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was mustard bottles and, and golf balls aren't cool. The Kiffin I think joked about a, a brown substance that could have been moonshine. That was definitely a dip spitter <laughs> that he was talking about. We're, we're talking about the South here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was some dip bottles being thrown, oh, yeah. wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so. old Southern saying horseshoe dip, like yeah, you got the big the one old, in. That, old that much tension. Yeah, that much tension at the end of the game. There are probably a few horseshoe dips. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I had one last around myself. At, so, yeah, I got Neil. it. Yeah. So the uh, here's, here's what I'm going to be most interested in. As much as like you talk about like there's a bad fan culture there, right? Under the certain element that Pat mentioned. So as – as much as there's going to be paid attention to what the SEC does and what Plowman does, I really feel like the prosecution of individuals, right? Because everything's on video now. There's no secrets. There's there's cameras. There's cell phone cameras. There's there's all this information available. What are you going to do to those individual students? Like that's that could actually help change and deter behavior more than more than just some blanket punishment. Like. Are they going to make examples out of the people who exhibited that bad behavior and got caught doing that bad behavior? Yeah, they, it felt to me watching it, and it felt to a couple of people who were there that I spoke with today that security was just completely vacant. Like there was just no deterrent there, and that's how come it lasted twenty minutes. Because sometimes you see these things, and then security floods, and they stop after two, three minutes. Like that's not uncommon. But there was something like there was a problem with the operation at Neyland stadium and that's an administrative problem for Tennessee. And if they want to stop it in the future, they need to make examples of the people who, who showed the illegal behavior. Yeah. They need to use one of the 16 cameras that they're evidently supposed to be using for correct spots, things like that to, to identify the the guys that are throwing stuff and, and ban them. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that's, that, a, that's that, a like nice if step. they have the technology to find the people that did it, then yes, go get those people. And then you don't have to worry about punishing people who had nothing to do with it. You know? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see where this goes, but it's going to be a very interesting couple of days for the SEC office and the university in terms of how they follow up on this and whether it's campus police involved or Knoxville PD or whatever, you know. Ramp up, ramp up security, kick the people out, probably ban the students, put a chip in the ball <laughs> and put it put in uh, a, a penalty system for, for players flopping and get the call right in the first quarter. And then you're probably not going to have this situation ever again. Yeah. Here's my question about the chip. 
right? Like I am all for technology, like using a chain gang and big orange chains. That'd be like being on Robin Hood and trading stocks with paper. Like it just doesn't make sense, right? Like yeah. considering how advanced we are in this billion dollars, it makes no sense. But with the chip, how do you know when the knee's down? That's what I don't like. Like, how does that solve it all? I'm saying it, we, look, it would be a vast improvement, right? But last night in that very scenario, which, by the way, both Pat and I did not think was the first down until he did. You, your your opinion can be can, can be skewed towards where you're it was your really, It was a very close. It was close. It was close. close. I, but I, I can't my, definitively my say that, that the, it wasn't. The dude that called it was 20 yards down the field. Like, we need to, we, sure. we need to get a – it's 2021. Like you're saying, there's a way better way to do this. Than, yeah. than a bunch of old yeah. dudes I, running around on the field with chains. I can't stand on the yeah. table and say it wasn't, but there wasn't a view that you, you, you I would have felt comfortable overturning it. Is that right, Pat? Yeah. Do you agree with that? Pat? I, I don't yeah, think you can. No, no I, don't I mean, think you can. Yeah. Again, and I mean, my thought watching it live was he didn't get it, and then uh, I, I thought watching replays, he probably didn't get it. You know? Yes, I mean, that's that's where. Yeah. I think that's the first I quarter. In- I think the fans were more pissed about the first quarter fumble getting overturned, and then and the mystery whistle that didn't happen. I don't know how you can go yeah. back. And say a whistle happened when it didn't happen, and then over overrule a touchdown like that. That that was the real, real egregious one. I'll right? admit, like I was driving from Athens to Atlanta when that happened, so I didn't see that play. Yeah, um, it was so bad. I missed that play too. Yeah, I was so flipping that's, around that's, a little bit. That's where the yeah. trash happened. You know, I, I think that's what fired him up, and everybody's been liquored up for twelve hours before this game, and perfect storm happens. Yeah. Yeah, Let, let's take so. a minute. You are, even even liquored up for twelve hours, you probably still kind oh, of responsible. Oh yeah, for you, you, you don't. Yeah, you don't throw stuff at all. I'm, I'm not not saying that's that's the move, but I'm just say, I'm just yeah. explaining how it happens. You know. Yeah, that was the most I've watched Tennessee this year, and like I would have just tipped my hat cap to Josh Heupel. Like they are a fully functioning like SEC football program. He has brought them to the middle of the road faster than any. And I was optimistic about that hire. Probably of the three of us, the most optimistic about it. Kudos to him. But now he has to deal with the fallout like that does not help recruiting, right? Like that you are the embarrassment of the sport for a couple news cycles here and you can spin it like, oh, we care so much. No way. Like bag that argument. Sorry, I'm not buying it. All right. Like you are the center of dysfunction again. And I feel bad for Heupel, who has just done nothing but stick his head down and do the work. And he's had really good work on on the defensive side of the ball as well, because they're not that talented. And so. I feel badly for him that that becomes the defining moment of this Tennessee season. I don't think 18-year-old kids are really going to care, Pete. And and looking through some of the big recruits that were there last night, they said they're in all of the 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 crowd, yada yada yada. They weren't they weren't talking about trash getting thrown. So yeah, what does an 18-year-old kid ever said on Twitter? Oh, it was a mediocre environment there. They just want people to like them and follow them. Sure, so I absolutely. Just, but are they really behind closed doors saying I'm not going there? It, it I don't think doesn't that helps. help, but it's not a it's not yeah. a nail in the coffin. Yeah, I just think it's another it's just a, it's just another bad look and another another hurdle to overcome. And then like the punishment comes out and whenever it does, and then it's another cycle, and then they have to play the game with some restriction, and then it's another like it's just it, it's it's after a period of distinct Tennessee progress, this is a this is a distinct regression. And uh, I, I, I'm looking up the schedule here. They've got Kentucky. Who else do they have before that next home game, Sully? Oh, Alabama. That'll be fun. Oh, right. And it's At a trip to Tuscaloosa. I'm sure the fans won't be bringing up any of this stuff in Tuscaloosa or no, in Lexington. No. Alabama by uh, Kentucky, Georgia, I think. Or might yeah, have those yeah. two. So, not correct. Good. But I, I, I did want to talk about the game for a minute here, too. Because as Pete alluded to, look, I mean, Tennessee played, I thought, a very gutty game to hang around and have a chance to win that. And Hendon Hooker did some great, great things. Uh, And then at the end, on the last drive, you could tell he was hurting. And he tried to play and he ran one scramble and went down and that was it. You know, I think he was kind of dragging his leg uh, through that, the end of that game. Uh, you know, I mean, a very, very gutty performance by him, but he has to give way to Joe Milton, who began the season as the starter. And then we got to see why Joe Milton uh, was not the starter very quickly in Michigan. Like, he made a couple pretty good plays to get him in position. They've got time for one last play. There's like three seconds on the clock. They snap the ball. Milton rolls out. They're on, what were they on, like the 20-yard line? Something like that? You have to throw the football. You must throw the football into the end zone. The game is over. As soon as that play ends, he takes off running. That's the most Joe Milton, the the play before he throws a rope that Tillman yeah. almost caught right off of it. Like, incredible play. You're like, oh, I, I can understand why this guy 
you know, it keeps getting chance after chance after chance. And then the very next play, he runs it. So has he never played a video game? I mean, it's not hard. Well, yeah, not only did he take off running, he went out of bounds kind of meekly. You know, it's like it wasn't like he sold out to try to get to the end zone. What what was that? You know, and that was, again, one of the reasons why the whole temper tantrum was so unwise because Tennessee's sitting there with three timeouts and time on the clock. Yeah. Big the return. game ain't over. Mm-hmm. And even Lane isn't dumb enough to throw an interception. Yeah, right. <laughs> At I, did, I thought Lane was going to get cute and try to throw the ball. And he didn't. He ran it three times and punted. And I mean, it, it worked out perfectly for Tennessee. You get a chance yeah. you make a couple plays yeah. and then great the punt return by Velas, right? Yeah. The quarterback runs out the clock. I mean, woof. Plenty of good Twitter jokes on throw it backwards over your head, right? Like, I mean, there's just 80 million things you can do other than tuck your tail and and meekly throw the ball into the end zone at someone in an orange jersey. There may be white jerseys in the way, throw it anyway. Stop on the sideline, throw it backwards to your, you know, left tackle. Like, what? Like, (laughs) I I felt bad for him because it was clearly just a brain lock moment, but yikes, that that was rough. But hopefully he has been spared what the officials uh, and and Ole Miss received. Real quick, I wanted to discuss, you mentioned players flopping. This has become, I mean, this has been an issue since Baylor and Oregon were running tempo. Chip Kelly, Oregon. I did a trend story on it. I remember talking to Mark Helfrich when he was the OC in Eugene. Like, yeah. Yeah. So this has been around for 10, 12 years. It's not new. Yeah, no, this is, but it's, boy, it's really flared up this year. And the Iowa fans made asses of themselves, quite frankly, last week by booing Penn State. Uh, And it's almost kind of like that's reinvigorated the topic. Now, it is happening out there, but they're not going to change the rule in the middle of the season. Okay, that's not how the NCAA operates. Pete, what 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 how bad is it and what are we supposed to do about it? So. It has always been a factor, and you've seen it, and there's some hilarious Twitter videos of guys looking like they got shot in the leg and just, like, dropping dropping down. And I, I think the only reasonable solution is if you go out with an injury, you have to sit out within the last whatever. Or, or if you go out with an injury at any juncture and they stop the clock for you to do it, you have to sit out the next X number of plays or the remainder of the drive. You have to make it punitive to, to at least deter the behavior. Now, look, at that, then at that point, you're getting your worst player or your defensive tackle who's going to be subbed out to do it anyway. But you at least have to make it because it is becoming a little bit farcical. And it's happening and it's a real weapon and there's no deterrent to stop it from happening. So um, it's make it, you them know, sit do, out do the drive. Yeah, yeah I, I think yeah. that's fair. Make them sit out the rest yeah. of the possession. Yeah. You know? And yeah, it, it, I mean, it'd be hard to bring up flop rules like the NBA or soccer or whatever. Right. Like you can't yellow card a guy because he, you know, because he just all of a sudden looks like he got, uh, you know, stun gunned in the back of his knee or whatever. But yeah, I just think there has to be we have to we have to evolve from this a little bit because to help it's helping determine the outcome of game. It is. And it's also leading to. Again, fans just deciding on their own, oh, he's faking. And sometimes they're not faking. And I don't think it's real cool to boo people that are legitimately injured. You know, that's where I... That doesn't I, bother me. Like, I, that one doesn't bother me that much. Ah, like, who cares? Like, you're, hey, man, you're in the arena. Like, you're getting your $70,000 year scholarship. Like, you can get booed. And, and look, the fans look bad. I mean, the players actually hurt, God forbid. Like they've got bigger issues than you know a couple of you know guys in corn hats throwing yeah, some hiss at. Maybe them. so. I don't, I'm sitting here. I don't I'm mind that, you, that much. If you are a parent sitting in the stands and your kid is down there legitimately hurt and people are booing him, woo! You want to fight? Maybe like oh, yeah. the Knoxville radio guy. But uh, I mean, <laughs> you do not walk out. You walk out of that stadium smoking hot. Uh, I've talked to a couple of parents in that situation and they were not pleased. So you know, I just I don't know. I just don't understand. Well, like. You can be frustrated and and assume that they are gaming the system to a degree, but what, do you really need to boo? Do you feel compelled? What's what? What are you getting out of it? Uh, when it's like the third time in the, in the same drive of like going out, going in, and it's obvious, like I feel like a boo is necessary at that point. Yeah, some our friend Chris Budden tweeted that they must not have electrolytes in the water, and I was like, well, they don't have Ames water there in Knoxville. That's clear. <laughs> <laughs> if if everyone had Ames water, this wouldn't be happening. okay the other topic i wanted to get to before we get to say something nice in the small sample heisman uh but here on the overreaction pod 
Nick Rolovich, coach at Washington State. He's got a four and three team, and he's the coach at Washington State. So normally that, that's not the building blocks of anything terribly interesting. But this is a guy who has been on the front lines of the vaccination, COVID-19 vaccination controversy. Uh, he has not gotten vaccinated. Rolovich is facing a potential Monday deadline to either get vaccinated or get approved for religious exemption, which he is reportedly seeking that would allow him to not be vaccinated. This has become a showdown at Washington State. School President Kirk Schultz not happy with Rolovich. Rolovich standing his ground, I guess. Although if you go the religious exemption route, are you really? Are you just trying to wiggle your way out of a prickly situation for yourself? A lot of people have weighed in that he would the, the, to get a religious uh, exemption, he would have to prove that he has uh, refused vaccines and other medications for a long time. Uh, and can he do that or not? So it was Pete was beating Stanford on Saturday, something of a last stand for Nick Rolo, or what the heck's going to happen here? You know, it's it's a good question. It's almost a, a stand between the governor of Washington and Rolovich, really, as much as it is uh, anyone at the administration, because that's where this decree has come from that's that state employees uh, need to be need to be vaccinated. So the, it's it it's one of the more unique situations that I've run across covering college football where a team that's on a three game winning streak could have their coach ousted on Monday. Like he could get a note from HR and he could be, just be gone or there could be a delay because there's a lot of people asking for exemptions and it's a, a blind process according to the uh, reports from out there, or they could accept the exemption. He could just coach against BYU next, next week, like nothing happened. And that's what his post game comments indicated. So it is a quintessential 2021 story where you have a uh, a collision of religion, some political beliefs, I'm sure, and you have uh, it, I mean, it's it's sort of everything that we see in our news cycle sort of boiled into one really unique pressure point. Yeah, it was fascinating. I, I don't personally. This obviously is a personal belief for him that he would risk. Uh, being one of the highest paid state employees in the state of Washington and giving up that job because he won't get a vaccine that to not get a vaccine that medical experts have been championing as the way we are ever going to get out of this pandemic. So more power to you, Nick, if this is what you feel like you need to do, but there could well be consequences uh, to it. We'll see how that develops. We might have more on that uh, on the midweek pod. Okay. Uh, we want to uh, get to our staples of the overreaction pod. The small sample Heisman and say something nice. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about Pete, that? Do you have a small sample Heisman winner? I do have a small sample Heisman winner. I watched a good chunk of uh, Baylor BYU because we, we had picked it on the uh, pod and uh, came away really impressed with Baylor junior linebacker Dylan Doyle. Had one and a half sacks, including a big one late as BYU was trying to come back, or I guess one and a half TFLs and one sack late. And he also is a big old burly linebacker from Iowa who moonlights as a fullback. And he had a touchdown run and a touchdown catch. It's pretty good production for old Dylan Doyle. What I did not know until I Googled his bio is that he is the son of Chris Doyle, the departed Iowa strength coach who Urban oh, wow. Meyer had attempted to hire controversially at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I literally didn't know this. I would, I tried to get him on the phone. I Googled, I Googled his bio. I was like, that's weird. He's from Iowa City. He went to Iowa. And then I scrolled down. I was like, oh, this is Chris Doyle's son. So I asked him, uh, I got him on the phone Saturday afternoon, and I asked him about going to Baylor. He obviously, you know, th this kid grew up in Iowa City. His dad was a strength coach there, I would imagine, his whole life. You know, I just said, you obviously had to choose Baylor under sort of unfortunate circumstances for, for you and your family. You know, wh what's that experience been like? You, you kind of just all of a sudden shotgun marriage to, uh, to a whole new program. And he got really emotional. And he said, Baylor's the best thing that ever happened to me. He said something effective, and I want you to quote me saying that. And then he went through and went through a laundry list of Dave Aranda, Ron Roberts, the DC, teammate after teammate after teammate that brought him in and embraced him. And there was very much uh, about the interview, like you knew you were talking to a coach's son, right? He credited the quality control coach who was helping teach him the fullback position. He said, you know, he gets just as excited for his teammates to score touchdowns as when he scored a touchdown. And, uh, you know, I was really just struck 
by the just the genuine emotion that he showed and the genuine nature in which he expressed uh, the appreciation for how Aranda and all of the people at uh, Baylor and in Waco brought him in. So that's a a bit of a uh, a bit of a long winded small sample Heisman, but. Uh, he said, uh, this is what he said, Baylor's the best thing that ever happened to me. I want you to quote me saying that. I'm so thankful to Coach Aranda, Coach Roberts, and my teammates. And then he named a bunch of teammates. He said, I could go down the list. It makes me emotional talking about these guys. I hope I show that with how hard I play every Saturday. I love those guys. It's so fun to have the opportunity to make them proud. So that was a, a little bit of serendipity. I didn't really know that was coming when I uh, when I arranged to get him on the phone, but it was a, it was a nice moment. And you could hear the Emotion in Dylan Doyle's voice as he as he kind of reflected back on that uh, on that unusual journey. So my small sample Heisman goes to you, Dylan. We expect more uh, goal line production this year. Uh, all right, my small sample Heisman is uh, Pete. That's nice that you've got somebody you know with heartfelt feelings and production and all that stuff. Forget it. This is our podcast, so I am going right into the wheelhouse here with Purdue offensive lineman Greg Long. <laughs> who had a heroic moment, a Gavin Adcock moment, if you will, without getting suspended, to the best of my knowledge. Offensive lineman for Purdue. Purdue is beating Iowa's butt all day in Iowa City. Major upset. Finally exposing Iowa for what we thought they were, which was nowhere near good enough to be near the playoff. They end up winning 24-7, but in the third quarter... These Iowa fans who like to be all nice and wave at the, uh, the the children's hospital after the first quarter, well, after that's over, they go back to being mean. And that why Iowa fan chucks a beer on the field. The petulant, in the classless middle of the game. Iowa fans, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> he is class. Hey, Whoever threw it is a classless. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> classless. Uh, throws a Bud Light on the field. Greg Long picks it up opens it and pours it on his face during the game. Through his face mask. Through the face mask, keeps the helmet on. You know, yeah, suds pouring down his chin. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And I would love to be the defensive lineman across from him after he's breathing beer breath on you then (laughs) in the the three-point stance for the rest of the game. But that's heroic. And that's Gavin Adcock, our our guy from Georgia Southern who – has gotten himself nuked out of football here, college football for the time being at least, after shotgunning the beer on top of the school bus and then getting kicked off the team. He's passed the torch. Greg Long picks it up. Small sample Heisman. Boilermakers win. Beat Iowa again for the fourth time in fifth years. That's my guy. Gavin Adderkark to Purdue. Confirmed. Can we get him an NIL deal at some dingy West Lafayette basement bar? Like come chug with Gavin on Thursday night? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Greg Let's Long, go. that's our guy. That's who we're chugging with. Um, all right, Pete, say something nice. We have, as usual, been mean and, c- and critical and nasty, but it's time to say something nice about someone or something in college football. I'm going to say something nice about the Utah Utes, who have just had an unbelievable run of tragedy that they've had to endure as a team. They've essentially had two players killed within the last calendar year. Uh, the entire team flew to Texas on Monday to attend the funeral of fallen teammate Aaron Lowe, who was who was killed within the past uh, the past two weeks. Uh, and just imagine getting on a charter flight, flying to Texas, dealing with that tragedy. And this is the same program that dealt with the, the tragic death of Ty Jordan uh, back in December. So obviously, it's just been a brutal time for the Utah football program. So it felt great to watch them go, come back, beat Arizona State 35-21 in a game that they trailed 28-7 at half. They skunked them 28-0 in the second half. Clearly just a, a great testament to the togetherness, to the to the ability of the coaches to, to, to bond that team and, and bring them through these difficult times. So props to Utah. Thoughts and prayers with, uh, with everyone there. Uh, that was a heck of a late-night win over Arizona State on Saturday. All right, good. Glad you did that for them. They deserve it. Hope those guys can continue to uh, rally around each other there. Uh, I, in Dan Wetzel's absence, I'm stealing his uh, his go-to here, and I'm going to say something nice about UTEP, the UTEP Miners, the 6-1 and one bowl eligible. UTEP Miners on a four-game winning streak, 3-0 and oh in Conference USA, 
after beating Louisiana Tech 19-3. And that's after beating Southern Miss. That's after beating Old Dominion. Dana Demmel's been around the block. The guy's been a coach forever. Uh, he was a head coach in the late 90s at Wyoming, and then he was at Houston. He gets the worst, you know what, one of the absolute worst jobs in America. Gets it coming off an 0-12 season. Then they go 1-11, 1-11. Last year, they start getting better, 3-5. and And now this year, lo and behold, 6-1. and Great job, Miners. Uh, keep it going. And uh, that's who I'm saying something nice about. All right, that's the pod, the overreaction pod. Please subscribe. Please uh, leave reviews. Uh, Wetzel, we think, will come out of his alcohol coma and join us middle of this week. We'll have a lot to talk about then. Tell the LSU- Twitter to free him. Free Wetzel. <laughs> free Wetzel. Get your people to let him out. Yeah, we're going to have multiple ongoing sagas here to, uh, to <laughs> deal with. So, all right. Well, that's the pod. We'll talk to you all later this week. <laughs>